You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. All right, Galatians 5, verses 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. First John 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, you can go ahead and be seated now. Okay, so a couple weeks ago, I was getting ready for the day. I look outside to make sure uh, that I'm wearing uh, the appropriate attire because weather has been going like back and forth. And so the forecast said it was gonna be like 108 million degrees. And so I was preparing for that. I look outside and it's, dark and overcast. And so that's weird. I look back at the forecast and it's reading that it's going to be hot and clear. And I look back out. It's not clouds. It's smoke. You guys remember this a couple weeks ago? And it was really interesting. I guess it was a a tomato processing plant out here on, on Waterloo. And what was interesting to me was that one blaze covered so much of our city in smoke and darkness and the smell of burning plastic, and everyone was talking about it, and everyone was posting. It was such a focal point in our city for at least a day. And the thought struck me that if something destructive, like a fire, could be so visible, so far-reaching, such a focal point for our city, how much more impactful if that something were life-giving? And the Bible shows us that love is that something, where even one structure, one community of those who passionately love can fill an entire city with a visible, far-reaching, like attention-grabbing evidence that something has been set ablaze in our midst. Listen to how the word describes it in Ephesians chapter five. Walk in what? Love, just as Christ also what? Loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. This is Old Testament um, sacrifice language here. And so what is being said is that love is the smoke of the church that now arises from the altar of our worship. Not filling our city with harmful toxins and forcing people indoors, but filling our city with the sweet aroma of the sacrifice of Christ in a way that draws people out. And we see this throughout Christian history. Love has been that eye-turning something 
that captures people's attention and draws men and women to the Christian faith. In the second century, when Christianity was still, still sort of slowly spreading throughout the Roman Empire, but a lot of people were still suspicious about this strange Christian faith, an African theologian named Tertullian wrote that the Christian church's display of what? Any guesses? Love, okay. I'm just gonna keep doing that, so prepare for it. Was so notable, so weird, so culturally different, that the pagan world continued to say in astonishment, quote, look at how much they love one another. That's all they really could say about this weird, strange Christian faith that was totally turning the world upside down. Look at the way that they love one another. And this from the very beginning has been Jesus' vision for us, the church, that the way the world is going to know that we're the disciples of Jesus Christ is by what? Love. By the way that we love one another. And as we see here in Galatians 5, love is that verifiable proof that the Spirit of God is at work within us as individuals and at work within our community reality. And so there's no coincidence that love is the first fruit mentioned here because according to uh, the scriptures, love is that thing that keeps and holds and binds all other Christian virtues together. It holds it together, as Colossians 3 says, in harmony, love. Now, if I were to say love is the answer, that all you need is love, I'd probably get a lot of people agreeing with me, especially right now in our cultural moment. Um, Christians, non-Christians, humanitarians, philanthropists, even activists, it's a pretty widely agreed upon concept that what we need in this hour of our history, what, our, what we need in this moment is love. But the problem is that while we all agree that love is the answer, I'm not certain that we all agree upon what love exactly is itself. Because my definition of love may differ from your definition of love, which may differ from their definition of love. And so the question is, whose definition are we rolling with? My love, your love, our love, what, what, which love? What is love? And so typically we say, because we live in the 21st century, we live in a relativistic culture, we say, well, you go with your definition of love. You roll with your definition of love. Love is love is love. Love will find a way. Love will find the answer. But unfortunately, what I think we're finding today is that when love is sort of a fluid concept, an abstract, sort of undefined concept, it's emptied of its meaning. It's totally lacking. It, it lacks in impact. Vague theoretical love has not helped us as a human race. And it's not helping us right now. And so the objective today is very simple. To answer the question, what is love? What is love? What does love look like? Does it have form or is it just this thing that we throw out like some sort of empty sentiment? And more specifically, when the Bible talks about love, when it lays out this biblical vision of love, what does it mean? Well, we could talk about this for days and days and days, but let's just scratch the surface today and begin with this point that we see here in 1 John. Love is about identity before it's about activity. Love is about identity before it's about activity. Now, when I was a kid, uh, growing up in the church, it was a very common thing to hear this phrase, love is a verb. In fact, there was like a DC Talk song, like love, love, love is the verb. 
And so that was the concept. Don't forget, love is a verb. But before it's a sentiment or a feeling, it's an action. And while this is true, it's not entirely true. As we see here, love itself does not begin with our actions. Love begins with identity. And us understanding, and really more importantly, living into and expressing love begins with us knowing who God is and knowing who we are. And I don't, say that, I, don't, I don't say this lightly. There are two foundational truths laid out in this passage apart from, it, apart from which we are never really truly going to experience the biblical uh, vision of love without. So if we don't get this, we miss it completely. And here it is. The first is this. First, God is love. God is love. When we start to talk about love, we need to begin with this point. God is love. And it's not just that God loves us, that's true, but specifically, God is love, which means love originates from him. It wasn't that he just one day chose to start loving. In eternity past, he's like, hey, you know what, Jesus? You know what, Spirit? Let's do this whole love thing. Let's begin to love. There wasn't a moment he began to love. As I've heard it said before, the proof that God will never stop loving us is found in the fact that he never started loving us. He never started loving you because it's an eternal love. And the fact that God is the source of unending life means that God is the source of unending love. God is love. The second thing is that we are the beloved. Did you notice that? That is how we are addressed in this passage. We, the church, are called twice in this passage the beloved. Beloved. Now, there are a lot of things that are true about you. And there are a lot of things that you probably identify with because of who you are, what you do for a living, where you've been, all sorts of different things. But when the Bible talks about identity, the Bible says this is the truest thing about you. Brendan Manny put it this way, define yourself radically as beloved by God. This is your true self. Every other identity is an illusion. So despite what you identify with, despite who you identify to be, the child of God is first and foremost this. I am the beloved of God. Amen? I am his beloved. You are forever loved by God. And this doesn't mean just more in the general sense, like God loves all his creation, like the trees and the water and the birds and the people. When the Bible talks to us, uh, refers to us as the beloved, he, he, this isn't the general sense of the beloved. This means the particular sense of being the beloved. And unfortunately, this can't be said of all people. This is reserved for the children of God through faith. The children of God through faith. Those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ. And this is a supreme privilege. Friend, do not ever, ever take for granted that God has called you the beloved. You want to talk about privilege? This is the greatest privilege that we could ever receive, that we are the beloved of God. Now, we're going to talk about in a moment that with privilege comes responsibility, but we need to hammer home this first note. We are his beloved. When the scripture talks about love, before it tells us what to do, it reminds us of who we are. And friend, I think that you need that kind of reminding today. 
Before you are called to go do something, you are called to be something. You are the beloved of God. And so it's important to know that for the Christian, now because this is your identity, this is within your nature. Because he's appealing to your identity, he's appealing to your nature. We aren't naturally lovers, far from it. But because we've been born a God, uh, born uh, again through faith in Jesus Christ, and we've received the Holy Spirit, we have now begun to share in the divine nature of a God who doesn't just love, but who is love. Love is an identity before it's an activity. Second, love moves outward and not inward. If love had a direction, we need to remember this, it's, moving, it's always moving out. It's not about moving in, it's about moving out. Now, one of the unfortunate things about the English language is that sometimes we have one word to describe a lot of words. And love is one of those really unfortunate things because love can mean a number of things, right? Think about all the things that we love. Love can mean affection. Love can mean a familial type bond. Love can be brotherly. Love can be erotic. Uh, love can mean just like, especially in our like superfluous uh, culture, like we say love it. It just means I kind of like it, but like love it, exclamation point. So love can mean a lot of different things. And but when the Bible talks about love, it's, it's, better than, uh, it's better than the English language. It has multiple words to describe the different kinds of love. And the word being used here as a fruit of the Holy Spirit, and specifically here in 1 John, and if you've been around the church long enough, you've heard this word, it's agape love. What is agape love? What is the Bible talking about here when it talks about love? Well, far from being a sentimental feeling, you know, like gooey feelings towards someone or, or something. What it really is, is a self-sacrificial care and affection for others that seeks their good above our own. It's the kind of care that puts other people before ourselves. Now, don't get me wrong, it comes with feelings. Agape love doesn't tell you to like cut your feelings and your emotions out of it and you'll never feel affection towards something or someone. But here's a helpful way to, to be reminded of where feelings fall into this equation of agape. Feelings are the caboose. Sacrifice is the engine. The delight of agape love, the delightful feelings will always follow after the diligence of sacrifice. We live in a culture where we're convinced, unless I'm feeling it, I'm not gonna do it. So I'm gonna wait until I feel it, and then once I feel it, then I sacrifice. The kingdom of God is the reverse. It's once I step in in faith to sacrifice, then the feelings will follow. Feelings, the caboose, sacrifice, the engine. But here's the problem. The problem is, and we really have to address this first, is that when we move forward, when we move outward in love, and we attempt this sort of agape love, it's always gonna be muddled with selfishness. Our love for others is always gonna be mingled up in this complicated thing called self-love. Now, you may object. You may say, that's not fair. Uh, that's not fair. I'm an extremely self-sacrificial individual. I care for others. I serve others in my community. I give to charities. I serve the church. But why? 
Have you ever stopped to ask yourself like the why behind the things that you do? Why do you serve? Why do you care? Why do you love? Uh, why do you get, why do you care for the poor and the homeless? Why do you care about important social issues right now? We come up with a number of answers. Well, I mean, I, I like the way that it makes me feel when I'm giving. Or when I'm doing this certain thing, I feel connected to what I was, I feel like I was created to do. I, I, I feel fulfilled. See the subtle nature of self-love? It even masks itself in charity and care for others. But at the end of the day, it's driven by the desire for self. It's driven by the desire to be fulfilled. Augustine and other church leaders throughout history used a Latin phrase to describe this experience that we all have. It's called incurvatus in C, which means curved in on self. So here's an important little Latin lesson for you today. If you're a homo sapien, you're also incurvatus in C, helplessly turned in on yourself. That's what, it's be, that's what it means to be a human. Despite our best efforts to move out and love, we cannot escape that gravitational pull of our own human ego dragging us back to my wants, my needs, my fulfillment, even when we're loving other people. What is it? It's about how I feel. When we're loving other people, it's about what I get in return. When it's, we're loving other people, it's about, man, I feel so guilty and I need to appease this guilt that I have so much and so-and-so has so little. At the end of the day, it's about us. And when it's about us, it fails to be love. It's something, but it's not love. Now, we need to lay a little bit of theological groundwork. We need to dig deeper into this problem for just a moment because I know we're uncomfortable, for, for, uh, but we need to focus on this for a second so that we can appropriately move to the solution. When the Bible describes the fall of humanity in Genesis chapter 3, when sin entered into the world and therefore our human experience, it didn't just describe sin as these like naughty bad things that we do that we shouldn't do. When the Bible describes sin that entered into the world, it's described as this enslaving force that seeks to place us in bondage. That's why we talk about the gospel and Jesus setting us free. Well, what are we being set free from? And when the Bible describes this bondage that we need to be set free from, a dynamic of that bondage, that enslaving that sins brings into our lives, is none other than the bondage to self. It's really interesting. We live in a culture that celebrates self-love. If, you if you're gonna love others, you need to learn to love yourself first. Biblically speaking, self-love is not something that we need to embrace and lean into. Self-love is something that we need to be released from, set free from. This is why no matter how much we agree that love is the answer, Humanity has just continued to fail at rising above our destructive, selfish patterns. Why? Because I think that we love each, we love ourselves rather, probably more than we dare believe. Are our problems a lack of self-love? While love is the answer, human love is not. Human love cannot fix. Our lives, human love cannot fix the problem that we're in as a society. It just simply doesn't have what it takes. And so if we are in curvatus in C, 
helplessly turned in on self, then we need rescue from outside of ourselves. We need an entirely different kind of love to break open the old, worn-out patterns of humanity. We need a love that's not tainted by sin. We need a love that's not tainted by selfishness. We need a love that's not tainted by, by fear and tribalism. And so this is why God, in his infinite, holy, totally sacrificial love, sent his son Jesus Christ to step down into our humanity, not just to show us what love looks like, but to save us from ourselves and then cause us to share in his divine nature so that we could be freed to love. Listen to how Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians 5. For the love of Christ controls us. I love that. Now we're in bondage to his love. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all. Listen to these words. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, be freed from self-love, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. For the Christian, and this is the good news, it's no longer self-love that is driving our lives and driving our actions, it's the love of Jesus Christ. And here's where the Spirit comes in. The Spirit takes all of the unending, eternal love of God and pours it out into our hearts so that when we're interacting on a horizontal level with the world, we're not interacting out of a deep place of need. There's not that that void there where I love you, but I really need something in return. Love me back, give back, I need to be fulfilled. No, because of the Holy Spirit, when we interact with the world, it's out of a place of fullness and abundance because I have received everything that I could ever want or ever need in Jesus Christ. So I'm truly freed to love you self-sacrificially and not expect anything in return. You guys still with me this morning? All right. Third and finally, love is received before it's given. Love is received before it's given. Now, it's been said before, all is grace. All is grace. And the simple concept that the Bible reiterates over and over again is that you can't give away something that you haven't first received. I mean, this is basic Biblical logic. How can you give away something that you haven't first received yourself? And love is sort of at the top of the list. Verse 7, look at me, verse 7. Love is from God. Love is from God. So Christian love doesn't dig deep in order to love others. It's not about mustering it up. I know that we feel that sometimes because honestly, there are people that are very difficult to love and it's like, man, I gotta like do everything I can to simply tolerate their presence. Christian love doesn't fake it till you make it. It doesn't muster it up. It's a completely different equation. Here's Christian love. It receives by faith and then continuing in faith, it distributes it. And so the vision of living these fruitful lives, love being the fruit coming out of our lives, isn't looking within to to stir something up for these unlovable people. No, it's being the channels and the conduits of God's love. God's love coming to us, not stopping at us, and then flowing through us. Are you feeling in this season just a lack of love? So am I. But because we abide in the unending love of God, there is an unending source of love to flow through us. Quit looking in 
and look to God. It's about receiving in order to give. And that, the order is really important because I think we approach much in life like this. It's giving in order to receive. The equation is that we receive in order to give, but often how we approach it is that we give in order to receive. Ovid, who was a famous poet and myth teller, he, he said these famous words, if you would be loved, be lovable. And that kind of makes sense, right? Like if you want friends, I don't know, be friendly. If you want to be loved, I don't know, be lovable. And so we take this and we apply it to our lives. This is really what's at the heart of many religions, that if you love God and love others enough, then you will be loved. Then you will be accepted. This isn't the mes message of Christianity. In fact, Christianity offers us the complete opposite. Look with me in verse 10. This is what Christianity offers us. In this is love. This is what love is all about. Not that we have loved God. Can we be honest? We're lousy at that but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the sin sacrifice, the atonement for our sins. God's love doesn't wait for us to be lovable. I got news for you, all of us would be waiting an eternity if that was the equation. God's love doesn't wait for us to be lovable, he initiates. And in his initiation, as he comes to us, then love is birthed within us. There have been, been a lot of children, particularly babies, uh, at these last two services today, and so I think this illustration will land. One author illustrated it this way. After a mother has smiled at her child for many days and many weeks and many months, she finally receives her child's smile in response. So she awakened love in the heart of her child. A child doesn't just naturally smile. It's, it's as it's awakened and birthed through the continual care and love of a mother. And the same is true for us. And the way that love is being birthed within us, the scriptures tell us, is through the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is God's smile upon our lives transforming our desires so that we're no longer driven by self-seeking, but other-seeking. And so I want to wrap it up here. We've been called to live lives of love. And what we need to begin with is this. First, we need to learn to receive. I think many of us struggle. Can we be honest? Loving people is really hard. <laughs> loving people is really hard. And particularly loving people that are different or difficult. I think many of us struggle to show love deep down because we are struggling to receive it ourselves. Maybe your hindrance to loving others is not them, but it's you. Because we all come from these, these pasts where love is tainted, right? Like the wounds from maybe a father or the wounds from a parent or a sibling or a neighbor or a family member or a friend where now it's hard to receive love because we think when we get love, it's with strings attached. Or love is gonna hurt. Or love's gonna bring baggage. Love's gonna bring pain. And so we, we fail to receive this love. Listen, listen to these words from Brendan Manning. 
Do you believe that God loves you beyond worthiness and unworthiness? Beyond uh, fidelity and infidelity? That he loves you in the morning sun and in the evening rain? That he loves you when your intellect denies it and your emotions refuse it and your whole being rejects it? Do you believe that God loves without condition or reservation and that he loves you this moment as you are and not as you should be? Like, honestly, do you believe that? Do you receive that? A late pastor by the name of Evie Hill uh, worked alongside Dr. King uh, during the civil rights movement, pastored in LA in a really tense time in the early 90s with a lot of race riots and a lot of racial tensions. Because of his involvement in... um, civil rights, he found himself under threat all the time. He was always receiving death threats and bomb threats and all that sort of thing. So one night he picks up the phone, a very somber look on his face, he, he just puts the phone down and his wife asks him, what, what's going on? And he says, oh, nothing, don't worry about it. And she presses him because she knows something's wrong and he finally spits it out that, that someone has threatened to put a bomb in his car and purposes to activate it when he's in the car. The next morning he wakes up to find that his wife's not next to him. And he gets up sort of frantic, he looks outside the window and he notices his car is not in the carport. And so just nervously standing by the window about a minute or two later, he sees his wife behind the wheel bringing their car back under the carport. And she comes into the house and he's, you know, upset. And like, what, what are you doing? And the response was, well, I drove the car around the block to make sure you were safe to drive it. And his, the way he took this situation is just deeply profound. He said, from that moment forward, I never asked or wondered whether or not my wife loved me. There was never a shadow of doubt about her love. Never again did he need to question whether she was loving and dedicated. Why? Because she proved it in her willingness to substitute her death instead of his. And this is what the gospel of Jesus gives us. Never again, I'm serious, never again do we need to ask whether or not we're loved. Never again do we need to wake up in the morning and and consider our value or consider whether or not we are loved. Jesus has proved it on the cross and now he continues to supply it through his Holy Spirit. You are loved more than you could ever imagine. Settle it. Settle it. And then second, we need to love as God loved us. See, here's the love of Christ the love of God through Christ does, it takes all the guessing work out of this thing. It takes this concept, love, which is vague and sentimental, and he, even the church has like spiritualized it, and made it this, this like re, just abstract theory. Agape takes all the guesswork out of it and actually gives it concrete form and tells us that love is not heart-shaped. Love is cross-shaped. Love has a form, and it takes on the cruciform. And so now what the Spirit of God is doing is he's empowering us to express this cross-shaped 
love, the kind of love that initiates. It doesn't wait for other people to come to us. We go to them. It's the kind of love that seeks others out. It's the kind of love that crosses over um, you know, cultural or socioeconomic or racial boundaries. It's the kind of love that goes to enemies. It's the kind of love that gives. It's the kind of love that sacrifices. It's the kind of love that descends in order to bring other people up. And at the end of the day, it's the kind of love that dies to ourselves so that others may live. That's the kind of love we've been called to. As I listen to the world around me, I hear a lot of what we need to stop doing. We need to stop racism. We need to stop cultural and economic oppression. We need to stop injustice. We need to stop hate. We do. And these are like really valuable, necessary statements and absolutely true. And, and we need to focus on fixing the problems. But what I want to say this morning, and it's not enough to just simply stop certain evil behaviors. The Christian, the vision of the Christian life is so much more, I hope they told you this, than just stop doing bad things. Here's the thing, and it, I'm not a prophet, I'm not a uh, fortune teller. But I can predict what the future is going to do if we continue to focus on what we need to stop doing. Because history tells us that if we just focus on what we need to stop doing, then we're gonna end up just perpetuating the same hate-filled patterns that we've always done. And I know this from my own life. It was the very things that I determined as a young man, I will never do what my parents did. Guess what? As I focused on not doing those things, I fell into those very patterns. It's not enough to simply focus on what we need to stop. The Bible lays out something more. We need to replace it. We, the people of God, need to replace it with something better. And in this moment of history, what the world needs is for the church to rise and to display an alternative, to display a new reality that is ours through the resurrection, a kind of love that moves outward and not inward where human dignity isn't just simply theoretical, but it's a practical, felt experience for all, where the love of God is proven in our everyday interactions with others. So this is a big word and a heavy word, and again, we just scratched the surface, but here's my prayer for me, here's my prayer for you, here's, here's my prayer for our church community, that what was said of the church hundreds of years ago would quite literally be said about us. Would quite literally be said about Reality Church Stockton. Look at how much they love one another. That this is what we'd be known for. Not look how young they are. Look how cool they are. Look at what, look at how much they love. Look at how much they love. Amen? Let's pray. Father, 